I really want to encourage you to uh, set aside this big day next Sunday. Um, it'll, be, it'll be a big, a big time commitment, but I think it's a culture-creating day. We're creating culture at one chapel. You know, we're, we're so new. Um, we need times where we just kind of stretch out and just let God speak to us and encourage us, and we need to set aside time. So we're going to do that. And of course, uh, many of you have been praying and, and fasting. A lot of you have been engaging in that for the last uh, two weeks, the last 14 days. And we've got seven days kind of left to our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so um, I want to encourage you. Some of you have done great. Some of you, you know, you got off your caffeine um, addiction. And so that's a wonderful thing. Others of you had to go back. <laughs> and it's okay if you, had, if you kind of fell off the wagon. It's all right. Um, it's about love, not law. And so we're, we're working our way through that. But I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to join with us over the next seven days. And, and I want you to spend a day or two or maybe, maybe more. But I want you to, to go without. I want you to water only. I want you to fast. And I want you to make room in your life to, for God to create spiritual hunger. And so, come on, there's still time, there's still room, you can jump in with us, and let's, let's go for it this week. Let's seek God. Instead of spending time in the lunchroom, go to your car and read the scriptures and pray. Instead of, uh, instead of engaging in feeding this body, let's feed our spirits, let's feed uh, our, ourselves with what God wants to give us, okay? Can we do that? Will you do that with me? So come on, let's go for it, and let's, let's finish strong, finish well, all right? As you know, we've been uh, going through this series called Hungry, where we've been studying uh, Matthew chapter 4, uh, really looking at Jesus as he faced uh, the three temptations, but he faced them at the end of 40 days of prayer and fasting. And so I think these are fundamental ideas to us. What Jesus went through is what we go through. And so when we look at his life and we see how he overcame temptation, I think we can learn a lot about that. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Everybody go there together. Matthew chapter 4, and we'll, we'll start there in just a moment. Um, as many of you know, I, uh, I was raised in church. I, I was raised a pastor's son, and it is a heritage that I'm proud of. I'm pleased uh, that God uh, favored me in that way. Um, to, you know, pastor's kids, they either, they either turn out really well <laughs> or they turn out really bad. There's like this real, uh, there's this attack that kind of goes, I think, with the, the world of growing up in church. Um, devil wants to make us cynical and um, wants to sort of make us the kind of kids who don't really believe anything because we get to see the inner workings of the church. But that did not happen to me. And I, I, I saw plenty, saw plenty of heartache, saw plenty of difficulty, um, but somehow God um, protected me. And I'm, I'm so proud of that. But as I was growing up, I remember, you know, always thinking about doing something great for God, doing something great for God. Um, I think when I, was, when I was really small, I was infatuated with Superman. I used to tie the towel around myself. I see my kids doing it too, but I, I have this distinct memory of, of loving Superman. Like, wouldn't it be cool? You could like fly and you, you know, leap tall buildings in a single bound. You can stop trains. Um, you know, uh, it was an amazing thing to me. I think it's because I, I felt like I was such a Clark Kent. I was such a kind of a little nerd um, that I thought it would be cool to be Superman. 
I went, to, I went to college at Oral Roberts University, and Oral Roberts University is an amazing place. And, uh, and it, it continued to feed this idea that I wanted to be, I wanted to do something great for God. Um, when I got to college, I, I, I realized there was some really amazing things that had happened that God had done through this man, Oral Roberts. And if you don't know who Oral Roberts is, let me, let me just tell you who this man was. He, in the 40s, began a ministry blazing a trail across the Midwest in, tent, in a big tent. And he would set up a tent and people would come from miles around and he would pray for people to be healed. He would teach that God is good and that he, he, God wanted to heal people. And so they'd come and he'd pray over thousands and thousands of people. And later in his life, he had real problems with his shoulder because he spent so many hours praying for people and lifting his arms and praying over people and putting his hand on them. It, it was an incredible thing. And so he was, himself was healed of tuberculosis. And that made him want to share the healing power of God with other people. But that wasn't the end of it. He developed a, a name. People started to know who he was. But then he felt like the Lord spoke to him and told him to build a university. Not a, just a Bible training center, but a university that would be a liberal arts education place. It would be something that would teach people in all realms of life. Because he believed that we are all called to be missionaries. We're not all called to go to third world countries. We're not all called to go across the sea. But we're all called to be an influencer. Everybody say influencer. We're all called to be an influencer in our realm, in where we are supposed to, or where, we, where we are uh, in, our, in, our, in our workplace, in school, our families. Um, so he believed in training accountants and doctors and even lawyers to be a light in the darkness, <laughs> to be a light in the darkness. And I remember he, he I, I went there, so I, I was, I embraced this fully. Um, I remember he told the story, and, and this, this, these words are hanging on walls all over the campus. It's an impressive campus. It's, it's really wonderful. But these words, Jesus spoke to him. Jesus said to him, raise up your students to hear my voice, to go where my light is dim where my voice is heard small, where my power is not known, even to the uttermost ends of the earth. In the, uh, the, he, he, Jesus told him, their work will exceed yours, and in this I am well pleased. And that shows you that I am indeed indoctrinated. Because I can remember that. Uh, I, 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 but I believe it. See, I believe in the idea of all of us being influencers wherever we are. We heard from all kinds of great people at, at ORU. I mean, when I was in college there, there is so many people, world changers, speaking to us in chapel services every single week. Um, Oral Roberts in the 70s, okay, this was in the 60s. In the 70s, he started a television program. He was really the first one who pioneered television evangelism. And, uh, and he did it a, a little bit different way when he started. He started doing variety shows in prime time. And some of you aren't old enough to remember this. Some of you are. But he would do shows with some of the biggest stars that, that, from Hollywood and from New York. And he'd have these stars on the program. People would tune in. And he would always have the message. And he is really responsible for turning this message. Turning, turning this message into something that really people believe in America. And the message was, God is good. 
really before Oral Roberts, the, the pervasive attitude, I think, in American culture, American Christianity was God is big and he's scary, and if you don't serve him, you're in trouble. And I think there was uh, something that, that, that Oral Roberts brought to people that let them know that he was interested in them, that he was good, that he wanted to heal them, and he wanted to touch them. And, and so, um, so I experienced all this at Oral Roberts University, just a, an amazing, an amazing place. But one of the unintended consequences of being in a place like that is you begin to think that you must do something spectacular, something over the top. You've got to be a world changer yourself. And sometimes you, uh, you forget some of the little things that God wants you to do on your way to changing your little world. And so I want to talk to you today a little bit about this idea because this is the second temptation where Jesus was really facing a test of protection, protection for his own life and body. But there was something else that happened there. Let's read it together. Let's start at verse 1 so we can get context. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. What a bummer. <laughs> led by the Spirit into the desert. Sometimes the Spirit leads you into desert places or wilderness experiences so that He can work on you. So He leads him into the desert, and then He allows this temptation by the devil, the test from the devil. Verse 2, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these sto stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Last week, we talked about stones versus bread, how Jesus chose to build with the stones that laid there, the idea of building his character rather than taking what was instant. Rather than having instant gratification, he stuck to what God had, uh, what his father had asked him to do and said, I live on more than just bread. I live on what comes from God. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, let's just analyze this just for a moment. The second temptation, the devil looks at Jesus. He actually takes him. So he takes him. He transports him. Yes, he can do that. And he goes up to the highest point in the city, which was the temple. And I've been there. It's, on the, it's at the Kidron Valley. There's, it's right there below it. And when you stand on the highest point in that, in, uh, of, the, of the edge of the wall, it is a long ways down. If you, if you jump, you will die. <laughs> and I've seen it. And so he takes him there, and he shows him this, and he says, here's what you should do. What you should do is you should throw yourself out and then here's what the scripture says. And the devil is so sneaky, isn't he? He's so sneaky. So Jesus answers the first temptation with the scripture. But then the devil comes right back at him and says, well, did you know the scripture says this too? So why don't you do this? 
The devil actually quotes Psalm 91. Psalm 91 says, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. That's saying that God watches over us. But the devil tempts Jesus to test God. He tempts Jesus to test his father by jumping off of this temple. And it's interesting because what better way than to demonstrate that he actually is the Son of God? What better way than to jump off and have angels appear out of nowhere? Superman. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he is Superman. And he, they, he, he, he gets scooped up in the arms of these angels. Everyone would see it. Everyone would know that he truly is someone special. So many of us are tempted by the same thing. Tempted to do great things so that people will know that we're special. There's a sort of a proving that we engage in. Now, I want you to look at this because um, Jesus quotes a scripture back to him. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.16. Now, you'll notice that Jesus quotes from the book of Deuteronomy through these all three of these temptations. And he says, it is written, don't put God to the test. And I was thinking about that, and I, I, so I went there to Deuteronomy 6.16, and then you see what he's talking about. He's talking about a story. And the story in Deuteronomy 6.16 refers to an event that happens in Exodus 17. So turn to Exodus with me, Exodus 17, and we'll read that, because I think there's insight here. Verse 1, Exodus 17, you'll see this is the story of water coming from the rock. The whole Israelite community, verse 1, set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? What they were saying is, is we don't have water and you need to give it to us. We want God to give us water. Verse 4, then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are, oh, sorry, Uh, verse 3, I skipped a verse. But the people were thirsty for for water there, and they grumbled. Everybody say grumbled. Grumbled. They grumbled against Moses. That was good. Grumble, grumble. They grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? These were dramatic people, Jewish people. They were so melodramatic. Why did you bring us out here? We had everything we needed back in Egypt. Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. And I will stand before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled. Everybody say quarreled. The Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, notice this phrase, is the Lord among us or not? The idea behind the story is that God had delivered them from Egypt. 
was a pretty spectacular thing. Red Sea parts, they come through. He's beginning to lead them. The cloud by day, the fire by night. God is leading them. He wants them to trust Him. He wants them to put their faith in Him. But they don't. They keep wanting to fill their bellies and they keep complaining of thirst. And so they tested God. They challenged God in their complaining and their grumbling. Masa and Meribah. You know what, it, you know what those two words mean? Masa means testing. And Meribah means, um, Meribah means quarreling. Quarreling. Jesus was tempted to grumble or quarrel with God. Or really what we should say is he was tempted to presume upon God. He was pre tempted to presume upon God to test him to see if he would actually save him. The temptation was to become um, spectacular on his own and presume that God would save him when he does something that he was not ordered to do. He was not told to do it by his father. And so the devil tempts him and comes up with a really good idea. Our temptation many times are the same as this. Our temptations often come through experiences where we choose to do things and then presume on the mercy of God to rescue us. It's the problem. It's a problem. What Jesus is being asked to do by throwing himself off the temple to prove that God is with him in the sight of everyone. There's a, there's a, there's a sense at which we, um, you know, <laughs> he's being asked, if we did it in modern days, we would say he's being asked to drive a car really fast without his seatbelt, texting all his friends and praying, God, will you please protect me? Will you show everybody that you're with me by protecting me from all this stupid stuff that I've done? Another example would be uh, that we, uh, we, we get it in debt up to our eyeballs. We mismanage our money. We fail at being good stewards. And then, oh, God, help me. Help me. Get out of debt. Help me, Lord. Now, listen, he will help you. There's no doubt about it. You got to get this. He will help you. Jesus jumped off the, off the temple, what would have happened? I think, I, think, I think the angels would have came and swooped him up. <laughs> okay? But you have to understand that there's, there, there are many times there's a price to pay for that. You know, there's, there's something that happens in you when you presume upon the mercy of God. First of all, I think one of the problems for us as American Christians is we've had so much teaching on grace, we confuse what mercy and grace is. You understand that mercy is um, not getting something you deserve. Mercy is not getting something you deserve, right? So you deserve punishment. You, deserve, you're, you're, you failed in several ways, and so you deserve punishment. But God has mercy on you, and somehow you don't have to suffer the effects. But grace is something else. Grace is really the opposite. It's getting what we don't deserve. It's getting favor. Now, but it's not just two halves of the same coin because mercy is when we disobey and then we look to our Father. That's a wonderful thing and He has mercy on us. 
But grace is really something we're supposed to have to empower us to obey. The favor of God is not so that we can do anything we want to. The favor of God is not so that we can kind of have our way and do our thing and then presume upon God to sort of show up because we're doing what we like to do. We're, we're trying to demonstrate that He's with us. The favor of God is to empower us to obey, to do what He wants us to do, to be the people He wants us to be. So the simplest and easiest protection, you know what it is? The simplest and easiest protection that you have is not throwing yourself off of a, off of a building or, or going crazy, kind of doing what you want, trying to... The simplest and easiest protection you have is obedience. That's the simplest and best, okay? Because, because there are forces at work in the world. Now, I'm just going to give you this, and I want you to see them. I'm just going to throw them up on the, scripture, or on the screen with little scriptures attached to it, and you can write them down if you want to. Just throw them all four up there, Casey, if you want to, if you have them, yeah? So God's will, man's will, sorry, devil's will, man's will, and then natural law. All four of these things are going on. If you look at each of these things, God's will, Matthew 6.10 is where Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray. And you know what he says? He says, I want you to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on where? On earth as it is in where? Why is that? Oh, because his will isn't always done on earth. We pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, because God's will isn't always done. We pray for it. We are the agents of his will on the earth, in fact. And then, of course, there's the devil's will. He's, he's trying to use anybody and everybody that he can to produce death, darkness. And you can look up Ephesians 2.2. He talks about him being the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He is. Later, when you look at this, the temptations... The, the next temptation is that Jesus is tempted. Well, I don't want to get into that. Let's skip that because <laughs> we'll get off on a rabbit trail. So then you look at man's will. Here's Joshua 24, 15. This is where Joshua tells all these people, you must choose. Choose this day who you will serve. You get to choose. Yes, I believe in free will. I also believe in God's sovereignty. And I'll have the next 30 years to explain that to you. <laughs> because I believe there's tension in, in God's sovereignty and our free will, and He lets us choose. But as, as, we, as we look at what's going on in the earth, we have to be aware that there are things that God wants, us to, God wants to protect us from. Natural law, if you don't wear your seatbelt and you get in a wreck, your body may be destroyed. It's just part of the natural law. It's part of gravity. You jump off a big building, you, you go down. So, so obedience is really our best and simplest protection from these things. We, we can engage in God's will. We are the agents of God's will, as I said before, and as we obey, our choices begin to have repercussions in the earth, and we begin to move His agenda forward, and we begin to make opportunity for God to do what He wants to do. That's what I want to do. You want to sign up for that? that? Let's sign up for that, because relying on His mercy all the time, because you're such a failure, like relying, on, relying on, on His mercy and presuming on His mercy, using the grace of God as a license to sin, as Romans puts it. That's dangerous territory. It's just dangerous territory. I don't want to live there. 
I want to I be the kind of people that will, that will be committed to great things for God. But here's our problem. I want to do great things for God, but sometimes we get a, a mixed up idea about what great things for God means. We live in the age of American Idol and YouTube. Do you know what this means? Did you watch American Idol last week? It was a sad, sad, sad little show. And I kind of have enjoyed it in years past, but I'm watching this show and I'm looking at these people and there's more, you know that thousands of people auditioned all over America to be on this show. And more people than have ever auditioned in the 10 years of its, its existence. Can you believe that? Crazy. And you know what they all want? They all want to be famous. They all want to be known by all kinds of people. They want to, to, ex to receive the benefits of fame. The problem is we're surrounded by sensationalism. Sensationalism versus stewardship. And somehow that gets into the church. And the church begins to embrace the same ideas. That sensationalism is kind of how we know God is doing great things. That sensationalism is what we're, we gravitate to. I mean, as a new church, honestly, some, some of the, the talk that I hear, people want to come and see what God's doing at one chapel. Ooh, there's something new. Oh, there's something special. Listen, we are not special. We're just the latest to answer the call. The call has been going out for a long time. Many other people have answered the call. And, and there are many other people who are doing great work in this city. I just, I'm just the latest guy to show up. Having said that, I, I hope God does something special. But, um, <laughs> but, but I do believe that, that there's something that we begin to embrace in the church that is messed up. Somehow we embrace the same ideas. People want to skip the character building process and the skill building experiences that a long process of growth and maturity provides. We want a fast way to the top. We want fame instead of wisdom. We want notoriety instead of influence. We want goods without the growth. This is fundamentally unbiblical. We, we suffer a subtle form of this when we think that we can only achieve greatness with some kind of spectacular or fabulous feat. We look at Pastor Brent, a guy like Pastor Brent, and say, I can never, I can never really do great things for God because I can't speak that well. I laugh every time he does announcements. It's like anointed. It's weird. <laughs> you, look at, you look at these musicians up here. You look at Pastor Marty and others, and you think, wow, those guys are amazing. I don't have any talent like that. I can't do anything great for God. You've bought into the lie. You've bought into the temptation. This is a more insidious part of the temptation. It's deeper. It's more subtle. We buy into the fame-seeking scenario that says we can only change the world if the entire world is watching us. That's why we want to do everything on YouTube. That's why we want to tweet every second thought that we have. <laughs> this mindset is not only fundamentally untrue, but it is one of the best tools of the enemy that he has for keeping us all weak and disengaged. Because we don't know, we, can, we, we know we really can't do these things. We're, we're just trying, we're just, we're just um, 
we're sort of, uh, I can't think of the word. We are, uh, it's, it's in, it's, uh, we're attracted to it. That's what I wanted to say. We're attracted to it. We're drawn by it. The idea of greatness, the idea of fame. Look in Philippians 2. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to read it out of the, uh, I'm going to read it out of the message Bible. I want you to see this. Because we have to look and see how God does it. Verse 1, Philippians 2, out of the Message Bible. It's a modern-day street language translation. It says, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, <laughs> I love that. If being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. We're called to be friends together, a community of believers, but here's what defines our community. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Verse 5 says, Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. Huh. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took the status of a slave. Say it out loud. Took the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far above anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. Jesus chose a road that was in its own way difficult. But it, it was not spectacular in the sense of our own sensationalism and what we tend to want to see God do. He provides a model for us that takes the low road provides a model for us that helps us understand what we're really called to do. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus teaches us here, and we'll have to get through this quickly. Notice what he says here in, in the top of verse 6. Verse 1 says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, notice what he's saying here. He's not saying, stop doing the good deeds. He's saying, do some good deeds, but I want you to do them for the right reason. He says, here he continues, So then when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. Can you imagine? This is what was happening. Please be aware, I'm giving to the poor. 
That's what was happening. And in the same way, we engage in this kind of publishing of our good deeds sometimes. Because we want other people to think good of us. We want other people to think well of us, right? We, so he says, when you give to the needy, here's what I want you to do. Don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. So if you want, uh, if you want the reward of other people's opinions, good job. Way to go. There's your reward. Have at it. Hope you're happy. Unfortunately, I think that reward pales in comparison to the one he's talking about getting. Because what he says here is, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. <laughs> Have you ever tried to do that? Pat your... Ooh, look at me. Reverse it. I can't do it. <laughs> Messes up my hair. I think what he's saying is when he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, it's, a, it's, a, it's an idea. I think we have to think about it. We have to think through it. Have you ever been driving somewhere and you're driving and then you get to your destination and you have no idea how you got there? That's exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says, don't let your left hand know your right hand is doing. I know the pathway from my house, all the roads straight here to this theater. I've driven it a hundred times. I can go on automatic. I go on autopilot and all of a sudden I arrive at my destination and I'm like, how did I get here? Was I transported? Where have I been? Oh, I was in the Caribbean. I wish. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I want you to be the kind of people that are giving to others out of your character, not out of any need to be recognized. I want you to be the kind of people that this is natural to. It's automatic. It comes naturally because of who you have become and are becoming on the inside. And you know why he says, he says, be, do this in secret. He says, so your giving will be in secret. So that your giving may be in secret, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You know why he says he wants it done in secret? He wants it done in secret because he knows that when you eliminate everyone else's opinions, there's only one left. The power of secret, the power of a secret life with God, the power of giving to the poor in secret, the power of praying in secret, the power of fasting in secret, which is what he says here in chapter 6. You can read it later on this week. He, he talks about giving, he talks about prayer, and he talks about fasting. The power of a, of a secret life with God, of doing these things secretly, is freedom from the control of the opinions of others. Yep. It's freedom from being controlled by anybody else's opinion. You don't care what they think. You're not living your life for them. You're not living your life so that everyone will notice you. You're not living your life so that everybody can see how sensational you are. You're actually doing these things and removing all of those temptations, and you're doing it for Him. It doesn't mean you can never give in front of people again. Okay, that's not what it's saying. What he's saying is make sure that your motive is right. And the way you get a right motive is you start doing it in secret when nobody knows. If you want to fast, don't make it obvious to men that you are fasting. That's what the scripture says right here in the next few verses. Don't make it obvious that you're fasting. Don't walk around and go, oh, I'm so hungry. Oh. I've done so much of that this week. I, I, I have not obeyed the scriptures. But this week, I'm going to do it. And now that I've just told you about it, I undid it. Oh, just kidding. 
God wants us to do something small. He doesn't want a blaze of glory. He wants small, consistent faithfulness. I'm going to read you Mark 12. This is the story that Jesus told about a widow. I want you to listen to it. Don't turn there. Just Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. And many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Greatness with Jesus was measured by different standards. Jesus has different standards for what makes you great. That's what we'll talk about next week. Notice what he says. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. That in and of itself is quite a feat, isn't it? God calls you to the small things. He doesn't call you to the big things. He calls you to the small things. And when you prove that you're faithful with the small things, guess what happens? He puts you in charge of more. He gives you more. The idea of the kingdom of God is much different. And one tiny action can make a world of difference in your life and in others. I want to read you this little thing. This is a book called Butterfly in Brazil. It's written by my good friend Glenn Packiam. It says, the biggest hurdle we face with creating small change is our inability to believe that small changes can make a big difference. We want big results, we want, but we question whether small change will take us there. We can imagine how the world would change if we saw our dreams come to life, but we can't imagine that those world-changing dreams could start in such a small way. But imagine this. It's a Thursday in December. It's already dark outside, and a woman named Rosa is just getting off work from her dead-end job hemming pants. Tired after a long day, she's grateful to find a seat on the bus. It's a route and a routine she's followed more times than she can remember. But today, something is going to be different. On December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks boarded a bus for home and took an aisle seat next to some other African Americans in the front row of the colored section. A few stops later, as the bus filled up, some white passengers boarded and were unable to find seats. As was customary in Montgomery, Alabama in those days, the bus driver simply shifted the boundary of the white section and expected the passengers seated there to move toward the back of the bus. And in compliance with the driver's demand, three black passengers gave up their seats, but Rosa Parks simply moved over to the window seat and sat back down. When she refused to move, the bus driver called the police and had her arrested for violating a city ordinance. On that first day of December, Mrs. Parks made a small change that affected the course of American history. But that wasn't what she set out to do. She did not speak with an eloquence that would command attention or earn her recognition. When she took her seat on the, on the bus, she, was trying, she wasn't trying to stir up controversy. She did not know that thousands of other people would back her up and support her or that African-American community uh, or the African-American community in Montgomery would subsequently organize a bus boycott as a result of her arrest. She had no idea she was making history. All she knew was that she was not going to give up her seat. Right. <laughs> small things. God's called you to small things, to do them well. Simple, steady, secret actions 
will have a profound impact on God's plans for us and for others. We've got to embrace this. We've got to pass the temptation. Pass the same, pass the same test that Jesus passed. Be faithful in little things. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the ideas. Thank you for helping us understand that we really can do something that has repercussions. We want to obey you. We want to follow you. So help us, Lord. Help us to have faith and trust that you are actually with us while we are faithful, while we do the small things. Give us confidence, Lord. Help us to put our trust in you that you are making things right. And even though we may be facing temptation, we may be tempted to do something that's out of the ordinary, out of character, you want to help us. Give us grace, God, to obey you. Help each one of us to walk steady, to walk faithful, to be consistent, to do small things that are a blessing to others. In this room, I just want to take a moment and I want to ask, is there anyone here who really you haven't given your life to Christ? You've not followed him. You've you sort of danced around the outside. You haven't really come in. You haven't invited Jesus to lead your steps or guide your path. Maybe it's been a long time. Maybe you stopped following him after being discouraged or being frustrated that he didn't seem like life was going the way you wanted it to. But today, you're here and you hear him calling you and you hear his voice and you want to answer and you want to respond. I want you to follow him. I want you to lift your hand in just a moment. I want you to, to say, I want to be faithful like Jesus has been faithful to me. I want to give my life to Christ again. So if it's been, it's, it's the first time for you today or if it's the first time in a long time, I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to lift up your hand and say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to commit my life to Christ. I'm going to recommit my life to him. I'm going to, I'm going to give myself to him. Yep, I see you. Yep. Anybody else? Anyone else? Anyone else? That's such a good decision. Yep, I see you. Put your hands back down. You know, we all say things we don't mean way too often. But I want you to say these words with me. I want you to pray a prayer with me. It's not that the words make a, a, a big difference. It's not a magic word formula. It is words that we say and we believe them. We have faith that God is doing something in our lives. So I want you to say these words after me. Everybody together, all over the room, everybody, let's make a commitment to be faithful. Let's make a commitment to obey. Let's make a commitment to follow Jesus. I invite you, pray with me. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. 
Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for the gift of love. Forgive me of all my sins. Forgive me for my failures. Forgive me for being foolish. I want to make you Lord of my life. I want to follow after you. I want to chase after you all the days of my life. I want you to live in me. I receive you. Make me new. Make me a new person so that I can follow you. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. And let me just pray over you. Father, thank you so much for you working in us and you're, you're, you're leading us, you're changing us, you're transforming us. Of just a simple prayer, just a simple act of a hand in the air and matching it with the, the belief in our hearts that you are with us, that what you've done is a miracle. We trust you. We embrace you. We follow you. Help every person in this room as we get up out of these seats and we leave this theater that we never leave you. Our awareness continues to grow and to mature as we go through the process of learning how to follow you. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's really good. The last thing we're going to do today to worship the Lord is we're going to give of our tithes and our offerings. It's really a wonderful thing. We've been going now for about four months, and we came to the end of the year, and we gave a whole bunch of, of, of money away to missionaries, gave a whole bunch of money away to people in need, and that is because of your faithfulness. That is because of your giving. And so I'm so grateful. I'll be giving you a little report here in the next few weeks, end of January, 1st of February. Kind of, you, you can see who we've been giving to and what we've been doing, and, uh, and that'll be a blessing to you. But um, I think it's true. We don't give out of duty. We don't give because it's an investment, even though it is, and even though we do have the responsibility to give. We don't give because we, we just think it's a nice thing to do. We give because there's a, a worship component to it. It is something between you and God. It is something you do because your heart is not held by money. And you give it away freely. You give it away with joy. And that is a miracle, isn't it? And so that's what we're entering into is that miracle, that worship, giving to God. So everybody stand up with me and let's pray and we'll worship the Lord together. Father, thank you so much for all that you've done. Thank you so much for giving us all that we need. Lord, we believe it all belongs to you. It, it is all yours. And so we just give back a little portion. We give back a portion of what you've given us. And we give it with joy because we believe that you are at work. We give it with joy because we've seen what you've done in our lives. And now we want you to do that in others' lives. So expand it. Build your kingdom with what we give here today. We love you. We trust you. And we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's worship the Lord while we give.